Hey, welcome everybody to the Financial Independence Podcast, the podcast where I interview some of the best and brightest in the personal finance space to find out how they're pursuing financial independence. It's the last episode of the year, and I can't believe it, but I actually lived up to my promise. Um, I'm not sure if you remember way back, maybe six months ago or so, um, I offered to do two podcast episodes per month if you guys all left me a bunch of reviews on iTunes and you thankfully did do that, and then I had to start producing two episodes per month, which seemed reasonable at the time, but I forgot about the fact that I was going on a three-month trip around the world, so it turned out to be way more challenging than I expected, but luckily I was able to get them all done, and this is the final two two per month of the year, so um, I, hope, I hope you've enjoyed the additional frequency I'm definitely going to have to cut back, I think, early next year because I haven't been writing any articles because I've just been focusing on producing these podcasts. But um, hopefully I'll be able to still continue at least maybe one every month or so. So on today's show, I'm excited to welcome Gwen from FieryMillennials.com and Julie from MillennialBoss.com. Gwen and Julie are both personal friends of mine. I met Julie at the Ecuador Chautauqua last year, and I met Gwen at Camp Mustache last year. So I was excited to get them on the show, not only because they're friends of mine and it would be fun for the New Year's episode, but I haven't actually spoke about young people finance too much, and I haven't written about it. So I wanted to get them on the show to you know dive into, one, what problems millennials in particular are facing, and two, what to do about them, uh, since I don't really write about that. So Without further delay, Julie and Gwen, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yeah, you're welcome. So first, Merry Christmas. Uh, it is now, I think, the 29th or 30, yeah, 29th. So we just finished Christmas. So I hope you guys had a good Christmas. And Julie, congratulations on the big wedding. Thank you. Um, you married a, a fantastic man called Doug. And Doug is actually going to be um, whipping me into shape next year into a into a hunk of a man, which I'm excited about. Um, Yep. <laughs> you can you can tell why uh, he's actually a, a a weightlifting coach and stuff and uh we all met on the Chautauqua so that's why it's not too weird but uh I'm really looking forward to that so uh um hopefully uh yeah he's ready for for a skinny mad scientist to to try to work on <laughs> not the biggest hopefully he's it's up not. to the challenge. Good good. Um so yeah so the reason we all know each other and the reason I wanted to get you onto the podcast, especially for the, the party new year episode. Um, I knew you guys would be fun since I've met both of you in person. So, um, Julie, I met you at the Chautauqua in Ecuador and Gwen, I met you at Camp Mustache. Um, so yeah, if you guys maybe want to just talk a little bit about those experiences, um, starting with Julie, since she actually picked the Chautauqua that I was on. So she's going to get preferential treatment for the the whole uh, episode since Gwen actually picked a different week. So go ahead, Julie. Oh, yeah. uh, Thanks what, for that. <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> what, what was your experience there? So in early 2015, I heard about the Chautauqua, but I didn't sign up right away. I kind of waited on it. And then I think in April, I regretted not signing up. So I emailed Cheryl and asked if she had any openings. And she happened to have two openings. She had two cancellations. So Doug and I signed up and we went for one week in Ecuador. We stayed in this beautiful resort. And we were lucky enough to have you, Brandon, Jeremy from Go Kari Cracker, as well as Jim from J. Collins and H. And Cheryl stayed with us. And um, we had about 15 or so other 
amazing, inspiring people. And we just hung out for a week and you would think we talked the whole time about finances, but we didn't know we had fun and we had a good time. We hung around a very lukewarm hot tub at night and, and drank bottles of probably really bad wine and whiskey, but it was a great time. Nice. And yeah, you, you mentioned that we didn't talk about too much financial stuff, but when we did, um, we pretty much gave you the absolute worst advice uh, that you could possibly imagine. Can you talk uh, talk a little bit about that advice uh, just to give people an idea of what kind of uh, finance talk actually goes down at these things? <laughs> well, no, we had... Uh... Well, we had great advice given. At the time, Doug and I had just bought a huge house, a 3,600-square-foot house that we did not need. This was before we really came into our own with um, all of these concepts. So we were trying to poll everyone to ask, what should we do about this house? And one night around the hot tub, we took a vote with everyone. Should we sell the house or should we rent it out? And selling the house definitely won over. Um, but there was a piece of interesting advice. It might have been from Jeremy that we should <laughs> strip out all the appliances, including the copper, um, <laughs> and, and <laughs> essentially put into Doug's name first. So um, we didn't go with that approach at all, but it was a pretty comical way. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, Doug was sleeping at the time. So we just uh, we had decided to land him with all the debt and, <laughs> and yeah, strip out yep. all the actual valuables. Um, so, Gwen, you went to the week after the i was there and you went with uh, paula pant from afford anything um, but then we did get to meet at camp mustache so can you talk a little bit about those two experiences yeah um it's good that i don't have to talk about my chautauqua experience because it basically is exactly the same as julie's minus the people uh i had my own set of amazing people there but yes uh, i met you at camp mustache for the first time um it is a four-day event in Seattle hosted over Memorial Day. And it's in this beautiful lodge at the foot of a giant mountain. And I say giant mountain because I'm from the Midwest where we don't have any mountains. So anything larger than about 10 feet high is a mountain to me. Um, and you just get, get to meet 50 people in four days. And you have sessions that you can go to. You don't have to. Uh, on any topic imaginable that could potentially be related to financial independence. So taxes, uh, real estate, um, churning, what kind of books and podcasts people are listening to. This one was mentioned, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, you just hang out with and meet a bunch of new people. And it's incredible. Uh, I got to meet, let's see, who was there? Uh, Pete was there. Brandon, you were there. Um, Nords from the military guide was there and also Paula. So we just had a blast in the Northwest and I'm hoping that I win the lottery this year and I get to go back. So that would be really fun. Nice. Yeah. The reason I ask is cause like, um, that's going to be a big focus for me next year. I think I, I, it's just so amazing to meet up with like-minded people who are interested in this stuff and everyone has such an interesting story. And it's just amazing the friends that you form at these sort of things. So I know me personally, I'm going to be trying to do more in-person events next year. And I figured get your guys' opinion on it and maybe uh, make some listeners uh, look into it a bit more, which I, I definitely recommend. So you guys, you guys would both recommend uh, either Chautauqua or the Camp Mustache? Absolutely. Nice. Hands down. Cool. Good. Well, I haven't even asked about you guys yet or haven't even dove into your story. Um, but before I do, um, 
what exactly is a millennial? Because you're you know, fiery millennial and millennial <laughs> boss. And obviously you focus on writing to millennials, but I still really don't know what that is. And that's probably because I'm like on the fringe of potentially being one, but really not. I think in 1982, I was born. So I think technically I am a millennial, but I don't feel like I relate. So um, anybody want to take that and, and sort of like explain exactly what a millennial is before we dive in? Yeah, I can take it. So millennials are anyone who are really born somewhere right around where you start, usually from about 83-ish through about 2010 is a millennial. Um, just the people who are born right as technology started taking off and changing the landscape of how we live our lives. So this uh, we have a lot of different... Um, characteristics than the generations before us. Um, that's why, Brandon, you're you're a cusper. You're right on the cusp between Gen X and Millennials. Um, so you share you share some traits from one and some traits from the other. So you've kind of got the best of both worlds. Nice. Um, and we're the generation that everybody loves to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and how old are you guys? Just so the audience has an idea. I'm 26, 27. Okay, cool. So you're not too much younger than I am, luckily. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I think I, <laughs> I think the it's been a world of difference because yeah, I can remember pre-computer times, and I don't think your friends like probably had pagers and stuff, and that was like the first big thing. Like it was like, oh, whoa, this is amazing! You can get a pager, and people can get in touch with you when you're out and about. Um, you guys are probably just like straight cell phones. Um, so yeah, it's probably quite different, but um. So let's uh, talk a little bit about your blogs and things. So, Julie, you're Millennial Boss, um, and you've just been killing it over there. Uh, so can you just talk a little bit, one, about your you know pers- personal background, but then also how Millennial Boss came about? Sure. So I graduated college in 2011 with a political science degree, and I really value my liberal arts education, but I was quickly realizing that I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And maybe that degree doesn't have the best ROI in the short term. So I kind of fell into tech um, and I've been kind of working my way to hack my career ever since. So how how did you fall into tech? Sorry. How did you fall into tech? So um, at first I wanted to be a lawyer. So I was working as a legal assistant um, right when I graduated college and I was living with my parents and I just remember thinking, this is the worst thing in the world. I love my parents, but uh, I need to get out. So I was creating this blog at night. It was a study abroad blog. I Blogging was becoming kind of a thing, and a lot of my friends had blogs back then. But I didn't want to blog about myself because my life was just so boring. I was living with my parents. I just didn't, I didn't want to write about myself. So I wrote about something I really loved, which was student travel. And from there, I sort of created a website, and my website got noticed by a startup, and I joined with them. And then I ended up changing my whole resume and sort of taking out all of the internships and educational experiences I had prior and putting all of this stuff that I learned with the website. And then I ended up landing an internship at the U.S. Olympic Committee, um, and that's where I met Doug at the Olympic Training Center. Um, And it was in digital media. It wasn't in tech at all, but I ended up later parlaying that to try to make it sound techie so I could land my first tech job. And that's sort of a lot of what my um, career has been, just pushing myself to to get into a better position by also changing up my resume and learning how to interview so I can land a bigger job. 
That's awesome. Yeah, you've done some fantastic stuff, and we're going to definitely touch on that um, uh, as we continue on with this. But um, uh, how did Millennial Boss come about? Was that uh, once you started, you know, progressing in the tech world, um, and you just decided you wanted to start writing about it, or was it after you found financial independence and sort of wanted to uh, get there quicker and write about the ways you were trying to get there quicker? Exactly. So I learned about FI, and I had about. Well, my husband now and I had about $89,000 worth of debt together. And we wanted to start a blog to trap, to track debt payoff to sort of motivate us. Because every time you publish a post, it's sort of telling people this is the situation I'm in. And then it forces you to get better because it's almost embarrassing to not make any progress. Um, Although at the beginning, you have very few readers. So you really shouldn't be that worried about it. But I was. Um, So it's so motivating and it kind of, it, it pushed me to, to do better in financially and professionally by having to publish it on the internet. That's awesome. And you, you knocked out that 90 K in debt in 18 months. Is that right? Yep. 18 months. That's fantastic. So yeah, we'll come back to that, but I don't want to leave Gwen uh, out in the cold for too long. Um, so Gwen, what's your story and uh, how did fiery millennials come about? Yeah. So originally I went to college for law enforcement and then I joined the military and figured out that I'm really bad at telling people what to do and being in a position of authority. And so I uh, had a tech job in the military and came back and said, oh, that was pretty easy. So I switched my major over to computer science and uh, landed a really great internship and discovered that um, office life is kind of terrible. So uh, I came back for one semester and uh, while I was finishing up that semester, I was putzing around the internet one day and stumbled across Mr. Money Mustache somehow and was like, wow, that's a great idea. Like, I already have a taste of what the office environment is like, and that's not something I want to be around for 30 years or more. So um, when I started this job, I started saving right away uh, as basically as much as possible. So as we stand, uh, that was three years ago. And I just cracked the $125,000 milestone net worth. That's awesome. So, Congratulations. Um, I went on this, I went on the Chautauqua and we're talking to people and they're like, Hey, your story is really interesting. You're only 24, 25. You know, that's really young to be starting all of this. I'm bet that there are other people out there who want to hear about it. And so that really kickstarted Fiery Millennials because I had it started, but I had kind of like lost focus, wasn't sure if I wanted to keep it, keep with it. And then everybody at the Chautauqua was like, no, 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 your story is really interesting. We want to follow along. So please blog about it and we'll follow. And um, so I've been sharing my story for almost two years now. And I, I love it. You know, that whole accountability thing is really is really key. Because I'm out, if I'm out shopping and I'm like, hmm, should I grab a sandwich on the way home or should I go make dinner at home? It's like, well, do I want to explain to my readers that I spent way more money on food this month, like usual, or do I want to try and be better? <laughs> right. So it, right. it provides a little bit of push for me to do uh, to do better. That's awesome. And the the really cool thing about you and your story and where you're at uh, financially is that you are pretty much in lockstep with the optimized guinea pig in my guinea pig experiment, which is really cool. So you're you're uh, pretty much racing him to to financial independence and uh, 
how how has that been to have to have an optimized uh fictional person to compete against well on some on one hand it's great because i'm like oh yeah i can compare myself to see this you know on the other hand it sucks because your guinea pin your guinea pig uh doesn't go to chautauqua doesn't go to camp mustache and so it just has the normal same level of spending all year long, whereas mine fluctuates like crazy. So I spend a bit more than your your optimized guinea pig, but I like to think that your optimized guinea pig doesn't have a life, and so I'm living better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you definitely are, absolutely. Um, but you are you are motivating me to uh, even try to figure out some more optimization since uh, since we are in fact racing. I, I sort of take it. Uh, as a challenge. So I'm, I'm going to try to beat you in, in 2017 somehow, but, um, I think you're going to, I think you'll win out. So, um, so yeah, so you both are obviously writing about, you know, sort of problems that millennials in particular are facing. And one of those things is paying for college either, you know, they may currently be in college or they're trying to pay off their debt. Um, so Gwen, you, you fully financed your own education and you, did it in a pretty good way. Like, um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, all the scholarships you got and like sort of getting all the college credits in high school and things like that? Yeah. So my parents sat me down uh, towards the end of my sophomore year and said, um, you're basically on your own for paying for college. They offered me the deal where they would pay for two years of community college and offer subsidized living at their house. Uh, for like, you know, something stupid, like $200 a month or something. Um, or I could go to a four-year college and pay for it myself. And unfortunately, at the time, our relationship was fraying badly. So staying with them wasn't an option. Um, I did not want to live with them for the next two years. So I decided to go off on my own and pay for it. And then I decided um, I had no idea how I was going to pay for it. So my high school offered all of these um dual education courses where if I took it at high school, it counted for high school and college credit. So I graduated with 23 college credits to my name, which made me a second semester freshman, my first semester at college. Um, and then I, I still, even with all that, I didn't know how I was going to pay for college because I was basically broke. And, um, so I joined the military and they were going to pay for things. And then right after I signed my name on the dotted line, I got a call from the scholarship office at, at school. And they offered me a full ride scholarship for academics, um, so which paid for everything but uh, some fees and books. So I was able to graduate completely debt free and with a little bit of savings in the bank as well four years later. That's fantastic. And Julie, I, I think your undergrad was pretty typical. I think you had some student loans and stuff, but then you went back to school after to get a grad degree in tech. Um, and it seems like that was uh, financed in a really cool way. So could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So at first I wanted to get my MBA. I pictured myself going to Harvard Business School and a lot of the, my classmates from undergrad, that was the path that they chose. But I slowly started realizing that following the money or following the growth in, in my career was working for me. And tech was the industry I wanted to be. Also, I found a blog, nomoreharvarddebt.com, that sort of uh, was someone who did get, get their MBA from Harvard. They, they ended up trying spending a long time trying to pay off the debt. And I already was in debt. So I started looking into 
graduate programs in IT, but it was really hard for someone who has a political science degree to get accepted without um, a technical undergraduate degree, I found. So I ended up applying to an online program where the admission requirements were, which made me a little bit nervous, but um, I ended up finding a great program and I maximized tuition reimbursement with my employer. So my employer offered $5,250 of tuition reimbursement per year. And most, many employers do that. I wouldn't say most, um, just because of the tax that they get for that. And then um, you can deduct on top of that, if it's work-related expenses, any extra cost. So I decided to take only two courses a year for the first two years, just so I could really maximize the reimbursement. And then in the third year, I ended up switching jobs so I could collect the fifty-two fifty from each employer because my second employer didn't have a, a waiting period in order to apply for tuition reimbursement. And then the last hack is the fall semester, I'm going to wait. I just actually took my last final a few weeks ago, the weekend after my wedding, which was really difficult, but um, pretty crazy. And now in January, I'm going to um, submit the final reimbursement. So I'll collect my 2017 5252. Nice. That's fantastic. And yeah, the, you, you broke up a little bit there in the, in the middle of that. But what you're saying was that you were looking at other full-time programs, I think, but then you decided to go for an online part-time program and you were worried that it wasn't going to be, you know, up to, uh, the standards that, you know, employers would want. Um, but you found the, the part-time online program completely fine and you obviously have built an impressive career off of it. Um, so there was no regrets there. No, not at all. And I ended up applying for a scholarship in the middle of it, and I was accepted um, into the scholarship program along with students from Harvard and Carnegie Mellon and all these other schools where they were full-time. And then I ended up getting um, offers from some of the top technology companies, which totally surprised me, but it made me realize that the face of education is changing and you don't always have to pay for the, the reputation with a more expensive brand name education. That's awesome. And you talk about the opportunity cost of going full-time and taking, you know, two, two years out of your job and things like that. And, and I think you calculated it to be like, you saved like 300 K or something because over the time that you're doing part-time uh, school, you ended up getting, you doubled, you doubled your salary and then you received two more promotion opportunities and things like that. Is that right? Yeah. So if I assume that school would have taken me two years full time in that time, I, I doubled my salary. I was put in a management position. Um, I got my bonuses increased. And those are things that necessarily wouldn't have happened if I had kind of left and put my career on pause to go get a degree. And I like to think about it. If someone gave me $300,000, uh, what would I do with it? And I probably wouldn't put it towards my education when there are great other opportunities out there. That's awesome. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and yeah, both of you have shown interesting ways to to get a good ed education for cheaply. And I've, I've found the same thing. Like uh, I got my job uh, just so that I could get a free master's degree. I was working for a good Boston company at the time and I was working remotely and it was a good situation. Um, but I always thought I wanted to go back for a master's or some sort of graduate degree and why not do it for free? So um, yeah, I completely agree. So if anyone's out there wanting to get a, improve their education and get a, a, another degree, then there's definitely ways to do it without, you know, drastically impacting your path to financial independence. So um, so another another thing that 
you know, millennials are worried about, I would imagine, is, you know, getting the good jobs um, that allow them to save and invest and reach financial independence. So, um, Julie, I know you've done a ton of really cool articles on your site about this and, you know, have offered lots of good advice. And now you're in this amazing tech position in Silicon Valley and you're making great money. And um, so could you talk a little bit about, you know, how you how you progressed and how how you made that happen and how are you now, you know, how how you made it possible to now be in the position where you've paid off all your debt and you're saving rapidly for financial independence? Sure. So I definitely didn't I didn't know when I was in college that I should maybe change my major to computer science or even pursue that at all. And I had three disconnected internship experiences. I'd worked for a lobbying firm in DC. I worked at a hospital and then I worked for a nonprofit law center um, because I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So when I was applying to jobs after I graduated, my resume didn't make sense at all. I didn't know how to interview. I kind of started out uh, taking what I could get. But then once I started building my own website um, and then realizing that you don't have to include everything on your resume, you only have to include what you think will help you get the next job, um, then I kind of like got some momentum going. Um, And then I learned over the years how to maximize your potential within your current job. I think a lot of people think they need to switch jobs to get those big um, salary boosts, which I've definitely seen. But there's so much in your own job that you may have available to you. Um, I, I definitely am a fan of working for a big company, even though it may seem kind of soul sucking to work for a big company. They do have a lot of nice benefits and opportunities for growth that I did not see at the smaller companies that I worked at. Um, and, and the two biggest things I would say, the first one, making yourself visible in the office. A lot of people hate playing the office politics game, but what I found is you, no one is going to recognize the work that you're doing. You need to make sure that others recognize it um, in a nice way. And then the second one, I, I, I don't know if any of you are How I Met Your Mother fans, but um, there's a phrase, a woo girl, and it's a girl who kind of is super excitable and very friendly. My personality at work is not like that at all. Um, I don't like to talk to anyone before I've had my coffee in the morning. I'm that type of person, but I've sort of first forced myself to be a hundred times friendlier than I normally am. Um, much more interested in everyone's kind of lives around me and, and, and helping them in the office. And I found that that has sort of rewarded me with more opportunities, promotions, bonuses, et cetera. Nice. Now, if there's anyone who's a natural woo girl, I would have to imagine it would be Gwen. Is that true? It is very true. <laughs> that is my personality to a T all the time. <laughs> That's, yeah, I don't know how you do it, but it is impressive and it's nice to be around. So uh, well done. Well done for being able to do that all the time. I'm I'm definitely more like Julie where I have to try really hard to not be just boring and tired looking so but but Gwen you are always uh on fire um and so you just use that uh to work your way into a really enjoyable job that pays more so could you talk a little bit about you know that transition and uh any any sort of tips or advice you uh discovered while you were able to work your way into that job yeah so I fell into this company. I got an interview in college and then got my internship. And I put in a lot of hard work to get where I'm at. You know, just this job just didn't fall into my lap. 
Um, so this internship that I had was actually very similar to the job that I have now. But when I came back after I graduated, um, they made me go into a three-year rotational program. So it's two 18-month rotations in different aspects of IT in the company. So I actually had to put up with three years of jobs that I hated and didn't like in order to, to get this job that I really wanted. And the whole time that I was in these other jobs, I kept making contacts with people and I kept in touch with the people from my former teams that I knew would help me get to the job that I wanted. I sent Christmas cards. I popped in to see them when I was in town after I moved to a different location, you know, just kept them, kept them thinking of me and kept me on their radar. So when this perfect job popped up, they actually contacted me and said, Hey, this job is going to be on the job board in a couple of days. Can you apply for it yet? And I said, yes, I can. I would love to apply. And they said, we really want you to apply for this job. And so it was kind of, it wasn't necessarily a foregone conclusion because I didn't know who I was up against, but I had a really strong chance of getting this job that was a perfect fit for me because they remembered who I was and they knew how I worked and they knew that, that I would be a good fit on the team. And you were, so you were one of the first people to hear about it as well because of those contacts, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, and they, they kept me in touch. They said, oh, the job can't be posted yet because we don't have the money for it yet. And then things changed in the office environment and they had to get the money for it and it had to be approved. So they let me know, yeah, hey, we're going to put we're going to put this up. So that was really, really good. But, you know, I never stopped working towards this job. I knew that I wanted this job and I made sure everybody around me knew that I wanted something like this when I got out of the program. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. And you've you've been loving it uh, so far. Yes. Yeah. It's great. The best day is, is 10 times better than both of the best days in my last two jobs combined. Oh, that's fantastic. And you make more, right? And I got a raise <laughs> and they paid me to move over here. So I'm getting ridiculous amounts of money just to move to a job that I love, which is great. <laughs> that's fantastic. So, so speaking of raises, like, I think that's really important, like, especially for people on this path to financial independence, it's like, we're in such a much better situation than pretty much 95% of the population. Like we have a big savings, uh, you know, in the bank and we can sort of take more risk. We can sort of make more demands. Um, we can ask for things and not be afraid of losing our jobs and being homeless in like the next month, just because we can't pay our bills. So using that power while you're on the path to fi can help you get there so much quicker. Um, so, Julie, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you negotiated some higher salaries over the years? And um, because I know you've taken some really big jumps um, in your career, and that's obviously supercharged your your debt payoff and your in your savings. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So the first job that I had, I didn't know what salary to put. So I just picked one. But (laughs) then I realized after by researching that I had sort of uh, lowballed myself. So I called them back and I asked for $5,000 more, which is not necessarily the right way to go about it after you've already kind of like accepted the offer. (laughs) Um, So I totally like failed it. But then luckily, I think my boss was excited to have me and he, he gave it to me anyways. So that was my first taste of like, oh, actually, you can negotiate your salary. And I just made $5,000 for doing nothing. 
so later over the years, I've sort of tried to really push the envelope. And in my most recent um, career jump, uh, especially in technology, you can't really negotiate your base salary, but you can negotiate bonuses, sign-on bonuses in stock. So I ended up negotiating $80,000 more into the contract. Um, and the way you do that, you leverage competitive offers. So try to time when you're applying the job so that everything sort of aligns at the same time and you can provide them with a competitive opportunity. Um, they will ask you questions like, is this job the same or uh, comparable? And even if you're applying to two different jobs, it, just how you answer the question is what's important. Um, but I did have a salary negotiation that went poorly. And poorly meaning I did get it. So at the same time that I was negotiating the $80,000 more into the package, I asked for something similar from another company. And they ended up, um, this was after they provided me with the original offer. I just said something like, I'm so excited to work here, um, but I really wouldn't make the move unless it was uh, this number that I had been hoping for. And they said, I'm sorry, we can't offer you that number and just kind of ended the conversation. And they sent me um, like a, e a generic email saying like, sorry, we couldn't meet your salary expectations. And that was a little bit heart-wrenching because uh, that was a job that was closer to where I grew up and I've been looking to move back soon. So that kind of stunk. Um, but it didn't matter. And I'm glad I still asked for it because I asked the other company and they ended up um, kind of coming back with the offer. But in a twist of fate, the company that rejected my negotiation has actually reached out to me. Um, and they, they want me to continue to apply there oh, after nice. and I haven't heard from them for nine months. So I'm like, that's so strange. So if anyone is kind of hesitant about negotiating their salary, just be a good person when you're talking to them, um, and go for it. That's awesome advice. Yeah. I can't agree more. And you had talked about, you know, how your sort of side business blogging, led to the whole tech thing in the first place. Um, and I think side hustles seem to be uh, something that millennials do more than other generations. Do you, do you guys believe that to be the case? Uh, Gwen, um, and I want to talk to you, talk about your, your side hustle as well. So Gwen, you can kick off. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Actually, it seems um, every one of my friends not only has a daytime job, but they also have something else that they do on the side either to have beer money or, you know, just vacation money or just even because they want to do it. Um, I'm the same. I started a side hustle this year, although mine is a bit unconventional. It's more of a kind of a hobby at this point, but I'm hoping to monetize it further in the future when I have more time to work on it. Uh, I do stained glass. Yes, so. yes. It looks good. The, the snowy uh, tree one looked fantastic, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, um, I I have a suggestion like a mad scientist flask would be pretty sweet with uh, some nice sunlight shining through it. So just a just a tip I, tip. I know you like to do like the nerdier uh, nerdier pieces. So that's pretty nerdy. I think it is pretty nerdy. I, I think I could work on that. <laughs> nice. Um, that's cool. So and then obviously you're blogging as well, which must take up a lot of time. Yeah, it does. So it's a constant juggling act between work and the blog and any hobbies that I have in general. Um, I just don't have enough time to work on all of them. So unfortunately my hobbies are getting the, uh, the ax right now for a little bit, but I'm hoping that when I'm FI, I have lots more time to work on my hobbies and 
pursue the interests that I want. Absolutely. So Julie, is there anything besides the blog that you're working on at the moment or are, is there any, do you, have you noticed that a lot of your peers and things have side hustles as well? I think it is maybe something that's popular with millennials. Earlier this year, I had a Craigslist side hustle and I made $4,500 in three weeks. Um, wow. I got, I went crazy. I just moved into a new apartment complex and I think my neighbors were kind of freaked out because I was exchanging cash with people at all hours of the night <laughs> and had all this crap out on the patio. Um, but then eventually they were down because they started bringing over their stuff for me to sell for them. So we became friends. It was great. That's really cool. Um, but then I think just blogging is something I do. And then we talked a little bit about this in the, in the beginning, but my husband, Doug is a strength and conditioning coach and he primarily works with elite athletes like Olympic or professional athletes, um, swap. But yeah, lately he's done some personal training. So that's kind of our side hustle too. Although I, I have nothing to do with that except encouragement. <laughs> nice. Uh, that's good. Yeah. No side hustles, I think are an incredible way to yeah not only earn extra income but just to be creative and you know if your job is especially soul-sucking it's a great way to you know f have something that you're passionate about and potentially something that you could uh do after you hit fi um so that's cool to hear that you guys are are doing so much stuff um is there anything else that millennials need to focus on that i may have missed since i'm not really one um uh, what did you call me again gwen you're a cusper. Cusper. You're on the cusper yeah, since, Gen X and yeah, since I'm a cusper, is there anything that I missed that uh, that you guys think I need to to should be discussed in this episode? I would just take advantage of any learning opportunities, whether on the job or off the job. The internet is so full of incredible resources that most people don't even leverage, and it's all out there, and a lot of it's free. And all you have to do is is go out and just explore. So that would be what I would I would recommend is never stop learning. Always always be trying to learn something new. That's great advice. Julie, do you have anything particularly for millennials? Sure. So everyone tells millennials to avoid lifestyle inflation, but what about those of us who accidentally uh, may have inflated their lifestyles already? So I had, we had bought a big house. Um, I had financed a new SUV. I filled up the house with uh, $10,000 worth of furniture from 0% interest credit cards sort of before I found this world because I was making a big salary and I thought I had made it. Um, so for the millennials that have already accidentally done those things, you can easily reverse your life and it only takes about four months. It's stressful, but I've done it. So I sold my SUV. Um, it was 15 months uh, old and I lost all of the money I'd already paid into it, but I ended up walking away. I, I bought some, I had some scuff marks and I bought the same exact color paint off the internet, um, and then sold it and ended up kind of walking away from that. And now we're a one car family. Um, where isn't, we're not family, just the two of us. We just got married like two weeks ago. I need to slow down, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like we sold our, our house. We tried to sell it. We weren't able to sell it. We rented it out. Um, but now we live in a small apartment and I essentially, um, take the bus to work and we've kind of reversed, um, our, our consumer's lifestyle. So if you are out there and you feel like you've already made some bad choices, you can reverse them in a second. That's awesome. And how do you, uh, how has it affected your life? Are you happier or do you miss some of the stuff or what, what's it like? 
honestly, it's, it's the same. Um, I've, what I've found recently is that when I make the cheaper choice, I never look back from it and I'm just as happy. If you're happy, if you're generally a happy person, you're going to be happy no matter if you have a bigger apartment or a smaller apartment. Yeah, I can, I agree completely. And I, like, I have a really spendy friend and I've been trying to figure out a way to like get it across to him. Like, cause he looks at me and he just thinks that we're just like depriving ourselves of so much. And he thinks that I'm brainwashing my wife into depriving herself too. And we're both actually just miserable. And, um, and I haven't been able to figure out a way to do it, but just only recently, like I was just chatting with Joe, my wife, and I was like, it really does feel like we can have anything we want. And we do, we buy everything we want. And it's just the fact that we had, you know, like trimmed down our wants to only the things that really, really do make us happy. Um, and, so it's like, I'm, I'm excited to see him next time I see him, I'm going to be like, look, like you're never going to be happy because your wants are unlimited and you're, you know, you always feel like you can't have what you want. Whereas like, we feel like we have every single thing we want and we can buy and spend money on everything and anything we want. Um, so that's the big difference. And I don't know if it's the same for you, but the more I cut back, the more I get better at knowing what I actually want. And then, I just feel happier with all the things that I do have. Is that, have you found that? Yeah, totally. I, I found that as well. Uh, I just moved from an apartment that cost me $1,200 a month, two bedroom, two bath, 1100 square feet. And I moved into my friend's basement for 400 bucks a month and I'm still happy. You know, I have everything that I need. So I saving $800 a month, but I'm just as happy. That's awesome. So yeah, that's a, that's a good lesson. Like just try stuff out. You could always, you know, as long as you're not committing large sums of money to try something out, you know, you could always reverse course. And even if you are, you know, spending large sums of money, just like Julie said, you still can reverse course, which I think yeah, is definitely a, a really important lesson. Um, now I always end my interviews with, you know, one piece of advice you'd have for somebody on the path to FI. And, um, I'm worried that I, I stole that with my millennial question, but if it's, uh, do you guys have uh, a different piece of advice just for the general population or if not, it's fine too. Cause I, I just asked a similar type of question. So one piece of advice I would give is to reach out and find other FIers. So Gwen and I, <clears throat> I discovered that there were many millennials out there. I thought my domain name was so unique and turns out it was not at all. There were 15 of us. Um, but I reached out to Gwen and we Skyped. And then we met in person at FinCon, um, as well as meeting you, Brandon, and, and some of the other folks that I've met in the community. It's kind of helped strengthen my motivation to achieve FI and really like kick me in the butt to get going even faster. So I would recommend to others to make some sort of connection because often your friends and family don't provide the best sounding board for these type of ideas. That's fantastic advice. Yeah. And the more I meet people, the more that you know, it just rings true. It's just, uh, so motivating and inspiring and yeah, that's, that's fantastic. How about you Gwen? I would say my piece of advice is you are capable of doing whatever you think you can. So if you tell yourself you can't do something, or you're never going to be able to do something. You're writing a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you say, I want this dream job or I want this amazing lifestyle, then you're going to do everything you possibly can to work towards it. And you're going to make, you're going to achieve your goal. That's great. And, and set specific goals. Cause I know you had wanted to hit a hundred K by a certain time and then 125 K and then you've done both. Um, whereas if I think you, 
had you just set like a random goal of like, I just want to, you know, have a higher net worth at the end of the year, then you may have not have hit those actual stretch goals. So, um, did, do you think that was important setting those actual numbers for those stretch goals you had? Absolutely. They need to be, and I hate to say it, but they need to be smart goals. They have to be, uh, what is that? Specific, Specific, measurable, you know, all the, yeah, yeah, attainable, all those other ones. So you, you have to set very specific goals and, and reach those. So I said, I wanted to be hit a hundred thousand this year. And my stretch goal was hit 125 by the end of the year and, or hit 120 and I'm at 125. So, So, um, so yeah, definitely having that number helped me work towards it. And it's like, Oh, do I really want this thing or do I want my higher net worth instead? And it was like, well, I really actually want a higher net worth. So I'll wait. And then it turns out that I didn't even want that thing after all. Cause I'm just happy without it. That's awesome. Well, that's great advice. I thank you guys so much. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? So Gwen, you can start. Uh, I can be reached via email at Gwen at com, or I am sadly addicted to my phone and we'll see any Twitter alert that comes through it at fiery millennial nice and julie you can tweet me at millennial boss or email me millennial boss at gmail.com cool and i'll put i'll put links and stuff to all that good stuff and your sites in the show notes but um thank you both so much this has been fantastic and i hope i can see you guys at some point somewhere in the world in 2017 um and yeah this was a lot of fun so happy new year and hopefully see you soon happy new year hi to jill (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.